Welcome to Faith Restructured. I'm Cole. And I'm Mike. Here we cover topics on faith, deconstruction, and reconstruction. We discuss books that have helped us through the process, and we'll interview some friends and experts along the way. Let's jump into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Faith Restructured. (laughs) This is called a power struggle for who's doing the hellos. Um, it there's, is great. Literally none. Like I would rather you do it. <laughs> then shut up. All right. Okay. Fine. Hey everyone. <laughs> Here we are. We're jumping in. Uh, we're grateful that you've listened thus far. And if you haven't turned us off, then uh, I don't know what's wrong with you. We are excited about today uh, because today is uh, the last kind of episode that we originally envisioned yeah. doing when we started this project. So. Um, we've done some kind of book commentary on the wisdom pattern by Richard Rohr. We've like interviewed Pete Enns, who we'd say is probably more sophisticated or qualified. No, more qualified, not more yeah, sophisticated. Not sophisticated. Have Let's you met be the guy? clear. Um, <laughs> then us to talk about uh, some of the nitty gritty stuff. But um, and we've shared some stories. But today we're going to experiment a little bit with a feature that we want to use where we get to hear from some of you and hear some of your stories, some of your comments and questions. So we're going to hear from one of our good friends, Christian. Um, We went to undergrad with Christian. He works in youth ministry. And so we're going to hear his question and then just kind of respond to it for a little bit. So here, right before we jump into that, I think uh, I just want to say this, like we want this to be where we hear from you, like Mike said. And so uh, there's a really cool um, feature in the, the podcasting, um, platform that we use that allows you to actually share the messages right into our thing. So we'll give you some of that information later. But uh, if you, if anything that you hear here stirs up questions or you have questions you're wrestling with on your own, we want this to be not only something that we enjoy, but we want it to be beneficial for the community. So whatever you guys find along the way to uh, ask us, feel free. And with that, here is Christian's question. Hey guys, first off, wanted to thank you for this podcast. I think it's a great conversation that is not happening often, so thank you. Uh, My question has to do with young people. I know you guys work with young people, and I know that you know that I do too. Uh, I wanted to ask, how can we uh, create spaces in student ministry for the deconstruction and reconstruction process? As students think more abstractly, I know they're asking bigger questions, and I don't want them to abandon the faith because of those questions. So how can we create spaces uh, that help them reconstruct? And then secondly, in addition to that, what can we do in regards to curriculum, or how can we go about curriculum to create these spaces as well? What does it look like to bring about this process in both the small group conversations, the lessons, and just our everyday interactions with these students? So if you guys can help me out with that, that'd be awesome. Once again, thanks so much for what you're doing. Uh, I love that guy. He is one of my favorite people. Uh, so... These are some really good questions, and I think we did start down the rabbit trail of these a little bit last week while we were talking to Pete, Uh, but these are really good ones to dive into, um, as most of our friends are either working in student ministry or are in the church and trying to figure out their way uh, through those things as well. So Christian's first question kind of revolves around the general... um, 
youth ministry world or, or your specific student ministry and how we uh, encourage this process. Mike, do you have anything you want to kick us off with in there? I have some thoughts on this one, but um, feel free to share. Yeah, uh, I think so. The first thing is, you know, the terms we're using with deconstruction, reconstruction. Um, again, if you haven't listened to the episode we did with Pete Enns, uh, I'd give it a listen when you get a chance, but he helps reframe some of this as using the term disorientation. And um, he just talks about the process of deconstruction often is not a voluntary process, right? It's something that happens to you because, you know, all of your yeah. kind of pre-existing structures and ways that you think about things start to come into conflict. And then you have to make some really tough decisions. So hopefully, like if we're doing ministry well and we're leading well, we're leading in a way where we're, we're giving people the tools to think through their faith and to live out their faith. Hopefully those tools lead them in a good direction, as opposed to teaching them a bunch of ideas that later have to be deconstructed, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So if we're showing them along the way what's happening or like how some of these conclusions have been come to, um, then I think that helps shift both processes. So no matter what, all of us, as we get older, deconstruct ideas and go, I used to think this, and now I need to work it back and, and kind of refine my original idea. And sometimes we were right the first time on accident. Sometimes you just <laughs> guess the right math problem and you got the answer. But we also need to learn some of the hard work of getting to those answers. And we've talked about some of that already, but mm -hmm. I think briefly, that's, that's my first reaction to some of that. Yeah, some of the things that I was thinking one of them aligns pretty much with what you're saying. That's just intentionality in your student ministry. So specifically when it comes to how you teach and how you work with students. Um, yeah, I think you're right, Mike. What I never learned growing up is that the Bible is full of different genres of literature. It was just the Bible. And we now know, and after we've learned and we've gone through that process, we now know it's full of different genres. And so that does frame how we teach certain things. We don't teach Psalm the way that we teach Matthew. We don't teach uh, Jonah, which is like a comedy play, uh, the same way that we teach Deuteronomy. Or, you know, we just, we know the difference now. And so the problem there is probably that we shy away from feeling comfortable in sharing that there's actually genres. And so we need to find ourselves in a place that we can get past that and be intentional about um, bringing those things up. But also I think a huge piece of, of uh, dealing with students and, and working with students and helping them through their faith and, and kind of maybe you have students who get to this point already where uh, they, they are, I don't even know if you would call it deconstruction again, because uh it's more just questioning faith, I think, at that point. But um, we have to really have a huge level of empathy and not the empathy that's like kind of apologetic-y that's, that's like, oh, I definitely understand the struggle you're com you have. Here's the, here's the answer to the question you're asking. But just rather have empathy to know, okay, at times in my life, I've questioned things. And so it's not weird. And I don't need to be afraid in this moment that this kid is giving up on everything. And really, what are you holding on to for somebody else? One of the things I 
I uh, wrote one time and sent to Mike just a like a an article is what are you defending? Like, who are we defending in that moment? Are we defending God? Are we defending like what? Why? Why can't we just let this question exist? And why can't we let the student be and and just love them? And so, you know, the fact of the matter is our life isn't all good. We've made mistakes. We've questioned faith. We've messed up big times in ways that that we've uh, kind of damage the image of God in us or whatever you want to say there. Um, And so we've got those things. We don't need to pretend to be robots that know all the answers. We don't need to uh, kind of be holier than thou people. Um, And I think nothing that a student asks us should kind of be off limits. Um, You know, when you're at that stage of life, the fact that they've come to you in that moment to ask you a question about something that deeply personal to them I mean, as a middle schooler and high schooler, those questions just lived in my head and I never shared them with anyone. And they made me self-conscious. They made me worry. They, you know, it's all those things we've talked about in the past of like, why we say this, you know, if you grew up in a fundamentalist place, like why you say the sinner's prayer 150 times, even though you've said it that one time that's supposed to be this. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, And so, you know, just living, I think, intentionally and empathetically in those uh, and modeling that for your students is, is one of the big things you can do. Yeah. And to backtrack a little bit, I think some of this has to do with what your church is obviously comfortable with you presenting there. Mm -hmm. There's a tension there. Um, but to me, like this brings up the broader question of truth. Like when we talk about truth, what do we mean to say something's true or something is good? And I'm not even getting into like absolute truth stuff, but I'm thinking in the context of just honesty about the ambiguity and complexity of our Mm -hmm. faith. So Mm -hmm. I work in a Presbyterian church and I don't teach any of my confirmation kids how to be good Presbyterians. Of -hmm. course, working in a Presbyterian church, like gives me a kind of context for how I might approach some things, but that's not really my goal as like a youth director, youth pastor, whichever title you want. What I do tell my kids about is why there are so many denominations. I talk about the differences in how different denominations approach, uh, you know, the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, for example. And do we believe it's literally the blood and body of Christ or is it just a symbol or does it become the blood and body of Christ? And in fact, a lot of the Protestants listening or, uh, or not, might be surprised to hear what the different Protestant reformers had to say about that. You know, John Calvin and Luther didn't agree on the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Uh, They didn't agree with Zwingli either. Like, and maybe these are just names that just sound like different kinds of, you know, pasta. But uh, (laughs) what I mean is there's such a, a vast diversity in theological belief, even amongst Protestants who, you know, all have issues with the Catholics who all have issues with the Orthodox. And Mm -hmm. at a certain point, I think it was George Carlin that said something to the effect of like, if everyone driving slower than you is too slow and everyone driving faster than you is too fast, then maybe you're the problem. Mm -hmm. And it was like, yeah, well, if every other denomination is just always wrong, but thank goodness you were born and raised in whatever you were born and raised in, maybe you don't have it all figured out. And I think Mm -hmm. it's valuable to point to, um, the the good things in those other places uh, the same way the good things in those other places and other religions like i grew up in a fundamentalist church 
where fundamentalist Baptist that instilled in me the importance of knowing my Bible. And to this day, like I can pull out probably 20 plus Bible verses verbatim in the King James, like that's they're embedded in my brain and say what you will about that kind of process, but there's something immensely valuable about knowing your Bible. But something I learned from uh, Presbyterianism is perhaps the significance of kind of a creedal faith or a liturgical faith. And something I learned from, you know, the Anglicans that I've been close with is the rich history of the church, capital C, and like the tradition um, that leads us. And so there's all of these different ways that these different perspectives on our faith um, help give us a fuller picture of what it means to be the body of Christ. So with that, you know, idea in place, it's just like, yeah, to tell our kids like, and this is the Presbyterian church and here's why you need to be reformed. And here's why John Calvin was the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> you know, John Calvin would not be a Presbyterian today. Like let's just, at least, I mean, there's so many different kinds, but at one point, Calvin was like burning church organs in the streets because he <laughs> thought they were the devil's, you know, instrument. So um, clearly, like there is a discrepancy in how we tell our own histories. And I just think it's dishonest as any kind of leader in ministry uh, to talk about your own perspective as if it is perfect, as mm -hmm. if don't worry, they found it out, figured it all out, worked out all the, the problems. And here we are. Um, it's just not true it's just not a realistic telling of our faith yeah and i th one of the things that stands out to me from what you said at the end there is um like there's a way that when we're approached with questions or we're approached with uh i don't agree with what you said here that you know we can either think in that moment we have to answer all the questions or we just say, okay, cool. <laughs> like, uh, tell me more about why you think it's the other way. And, you know, how we end up coming to a conclusion in that moment may not be, okay, well, here's what I'm going to say. And then, you know, that's the end of it. It could be, give me a little bit of your perspective. Like, why do you think that? Why have you gotten to that point? Oh, well, it's because blah, 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 blah. And then you start to learn and gain more even for yourself that you may not have seen before too. Um, and so I think, yeah, the diversity of voices that we listen to, the, um, yeah, just the ambiguity that we allow in our places can, can really be helpful. Uh, I don't really have much to Christian's second question, which is uh, curriculum other than write your own because it's all garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, so Pete, again, uh, kind of addressed this as he was talking about when he was a seminary professor and and you'd say, it's not my job to tell you what to teach. It's my job to prepare you um, to learn how to teach this yourself, like to give you the tools. And I think it's a similar thing. Like uh, what I, when I'm talking about like different denominational beliefs, I'm not saying we should just teach everyone, well, anything goes. So like figure out whatever you want, but rather like pointing to the fact that you can be a very dedicated, faithful Christian and be in a very different denomination than the one you grew up in. And so can those other people. And that's okay. But it doesn't mean that we have to all come to the same final conclusion on mm -hmm. what Jesus meant at the Last Supper. Because <laughs> half the time, the, the commentators in the Gospels would be like, and then Jesus said this. And the disciples did not understand it. And guess what? It's 2021 and we still don't understand it. So like explain.
explain that. And he's like, <laughs> well, there's a hilarious moment that like uh, it's in the gospel of John. And at some point someone says to Jesus, like, and who are you? And Jesus's response, I'm kind of ad libbing a little bit, but it's basically like, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't ask me who I say that I am because you would know who I am. And it was like, <laughs> well, yeah, that's why he asked. He doesn't know. <laughs> um thanks and there, there's a lot of like <laughs> theological stuff messianic uh secret and stuff like that but mm -hmm. anyways when it comes to curriculum though i think it's important to recognize there's all kinds of great resources out there and i think that's your role yeah. as the person teaching is you can have a terrible curriculum and pull mm -hmm. out something positive from it to utilize it's just about how you present it mm -hmm. like you know i take kids to camp and I, I take very seriously my role in taking kids to camp where I can't control what a speaker says, what a worship leader is going to say, mm -hmm. what small group leaders that work at the camp might say. So like, I think my role in a camp setting um, similarly to a curriculum setting is to bridge the gap to in the moment, almost deconstruct some of the ideas being presented and teach kids about how those conclusions are being come to, because it, you don't want to just blanket statement, plug and play some kind of curriculum and just assume it's going to do mm. something positive. Uh, a lot of it is not so good. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. The kind of overarching philosophy of youth ministry is mini mega churches and yeah. with games. And so it's just not that cookie cutter that that doesn't work in a tiny rural church in the middle of, I don't know, Kansas, right? Because you are probably doing small groups against your will because that's all you have. Um, but I think you're right. There are plenty of good resources out there. Resources and curriculum are two different things. I, over the past year, uh, I've actually used a lot more curriculum and I mean, it's basically changing the whole thing and, and erasing paragraph <laughs> paragraphs of stuff. Right. Because it's all about how do we get that one little pithy one liner that a kid can remember, which is a great idea because they're not going to remember your whole talk, but it typically just boils it down way too much. So one of the things that I've been using a lot are like these contemplative images that have been out there. Um, you know, not to throw names out there, but I guess uh, Scott Erickson, Scott the Painter is like one of the leading people in these things. And uh, you would be surprised at what students can pull out of something like that. You just have to set up the situation correctly uh, and you have to set up the environment right and all that sort of stuff so that it can be something beneficial and not 300 kids staring at a screen and going, I don't know what this is. Yeah, I think that's a good point because... So ultimately, I think it comes to taking a serious look at like what has worked in historical Christianity. And Cole and I, I don't know if we've talked about it on this podcast, but we've definitely talked about this plenty that, you know, all the statistics say that youth ministry has been a failed experiment over the last 60 some years. Mm -hmm. Like that's what every stat says. So, you know, the amount of kids that show up to camp that make dedications that they write down is relatively meaningless long-term because all of the statistics say that it actually doesn't last after that. So we have to judge mm -hmm. what a, a positive experience and a successful experience of ministry is going to be with teenagers. And I think we can't just separate teens from the rest of the church. We need to look at what's worked 
in historical Christianity. So you're talking about like contemplative images, like that's a spiritual practice and spiritual discipline that's been done for a mm -hmm. long time before people could Looking read. Church. What did, yeah. Mm -hmm. what, what do we have in historical churches? Stained glass windows that tell stories without words. You look mm -hmm. at an image, you see a loaf of bread. You can tell about a hundred different Bible stories with just one loaf of bread in a stained glass window. Um, and you can connect them all in powerful ways. This is like Jewish interpretation and Midrash, like seeing the connection of like, you know, um, Abraham sacrificing Isaac and he's told, mm -hmm. okay, I'll provide a perfect lamb for the sacrifice. And then a ram is caught in the thicket. Like, did they mix up their mammals? Hmm. Well, some people would say, well, the perfect lamb was sacrificed later and his name was Jesus. And hmm. that's the powerful imagery connecting some of these things. So images are there, but, you know, sometimes we shy away from words like discipline, but spiritual disciplines historically have been such a significant way for engaging in, in growing in faith and very few spiritual practices involve information. Like that's what modern Christianity in the West has become is like memorize Bible verses, learn the right things. Whereas the majority of the Christian faith that's been passed down to us has been practices. So mm -hmm. the last thing, as I am rambling, like normal, one of the <sighs> camps that I, I take our kids to, um, the, the big thing that they do every, whether it's a fall retreat or summer retreat, they do 20 minutes of silence on the last night. And they always set it up rather than like a turn or burn. Like, do you know Jesus right now? <laughs> it's a, Hey, look, maybe you're in a place where you don't even know what you believe yet. Maybe you're in a place where you feel really good about your faith. Maybe you're in a place where you used to feel good and now you don't know. Go off, hand your cell phones into your leaders for the next 20 minutes before you go out the door, find a place on the campus and you'll hear a big bell in 20 minutes. And every single time in the last five years, so that's 10 camps, every single kid has said that's their favorite experience that they've mm -hmm. ever had at camp. Mm -hmm. Now, the funny part is I'm like, we can do this at home. You can do this at home for five <laughs> minutes. So like, no, it's not the same. And it's like, all right. My friends but what, are here. <laughs> what they're tapping into is this powerful, like time-tested spiritual practice of solitude, of silence, of meditation, and of just raw, vulnerable prayer. And those are the things that shape faith far more than memorize these 10 answers to these questions. So, um, yeah, curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really, <laughs> uh, not to just kind of take this in a whole other direction, but I think discipline is a really big piece of this process and modeling that for students can only be a good thing. I mean, think of the last year. It's either been COVID or uh, for the most part, uh, kind of racial unrest. And if we're disciplined and we are holding to our practices, it should teach us how we should respond to COVID and it should teach us how we should respond to the racial unrest stuff. And a lot of the people who have experienced having issues with either of those things are people who I know don't have those grounded processes in their life of discipline and of following all of scripture and of looking at the words of Jesus and saying, okay, this actually affects how I live my life now in these, in these moments, in these situations. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the disclaimer to youth ministry that I think needs to be made. One is it's super hard. So give your, give yourself a little bit of a break that uh, you may never hear these things from kids. It's not always the first thing that comes up for them. 
they may not want to talk about it. Uh, the best thing you can do in those moments is just foster community where doubt is okay. Um, and not all like you can, sure. You can do everything to structure stuff a certain way. This is gone. This has happened for me in the past. You can do everything you can to structure stuff a certain way. And, uh, leaders just, some leaders just aren't on the same page as you or aren't capable of thinking in those ways. And so, uh, it may end up affecting, uh, the whole lesson that you just put together and it gets scrapped and you just have to have no ego and just let it happen. And, and then have conversations on the side with kids at times, not throwing those people under the bus, of course, but yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, a big piece of that, at least from, from my experience, and I do think every, um, every context is different. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many youth ministry buzzwords. So everyone like, just keep a tally for us, like intentional context, culture, um, just, just, you know, make a little graphics for Christianity us. buzzwords. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, just kind of going back to the, uh, the broader curriculum question, like it's a lot of pastors will write a sermon and they'll use the same sermon in different contexts, right? They're not going to preach the same thing in the same place twice, hopefully. But if you believe that, you know, what God's put on your heart, um, is remotely relevant, um, and worth sharing, then sure, I understand using it, but it'd be a, a really big mistake to use the same sermon in multiple places, right? Mm. And in the same way, you have to adapt it to where you are. So you have to adapt like your approach to ministry to where you are. But when it comes to leaders, like the the first thing I tell any leader that starts with, with me is one, you know, it's about relationships. There's another uh, buzzword. Um, it's truly about like, I just want you to know these kids and check in with these kids and, and value them as people and don't look down on them. Uh, but two, never answer questions that you don't think that you have a good handle on. Now, the problem is when people think they have a handle on things, they don't, um, (laughs) right. That's always dangerous. And that's for all of us, but there's something powerful about an adult, you know, some of my leaders, I've got a leader that's in his sixties. And one of the most impressive leaders I have, one of my best friends, um, who just happens to be older than my dad, but the kids sense his passion when he teaches and he has no problem saying, I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Because for a teenager to see someone they respect, someone that they value, someone that they know values them say, I don't have it all figured out and that's okay. It's not easy, but it's okay. Models for them that our faith isn't about getting all the answers to all the questions, but rather about living into uh, that liminal space, that in-between space of like working out the tension. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I might've skipped ahead a little bit because I think one of Christian's questions was kind of about leaders, but um, I kind of see those things as related. Well, I guess you listened to his question better than I did. <laughs> or not at all. No, so that's all uh, Mike and I know. Thank for thank you for coming to our TED talk. Uh, and, yeah, uh, right. Yeah, no, I think that that I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, thank you so much, Christian, for this uh, question because it really helps us kind of contextualize the work that we do and also how we would share that with other people. So yeah, these yeah. are kind of a, a form of podcast we want to keep doing. So Mike, can you give us the information? all the listeners, the information about how they can participate. Yeah, for sure. So 
practically speaking, the way it works is that we have a link that we can send uh, to you guys, but obviously we can't send out a billion emails. So the easiest way <laughs> for you to interact with us would be to follow our Instagram, which is faith underscore restructured. Um, and when you go on there, we can have in our bio the link that you'll have to either put into like Safari. Cool like, text me. Yeah, right. A number, but no. Yeah, seriously. Um, uh, but I think you'll probably have to download the Anchor app, um, but it'll all prompt you from the link in our bio. Um, so that'd be the easiest way. If there are issues that you run into, that's okay. But again, we think it'd be really cool, whether it's about the the wisdom pattern by Richard Rohr, um, or just comments or questions in general about the process of deconstruction and restructuring. Um, I think it'd be great because again, we're, we're not, we're not all that interested in just being bitter and frustrated and, um, and negative about faith communities. I, I am not trying to invalidate those experiences, but, uh, Cole and I are very much moved by the idea of what does it look to put it back together? Uh, and not just leave it in that desert, desolate wasteland. And and there's a time in most of our lives where we'll end up in that place and you can't rush your way out of it. But we also want to provide a space where you feel like you're one, not isolated and two, mm. um, enabled to kind of start that process again. So uh, that's what we hope some of this can be. So again, check the Instagram. That's where the info will be. If you're not um, comfortable talking or you don't want to download the anchor app. You can always just DM us and we can read them as well. Yeah. Just be clear if you want it anonymous or not anonymous, because we want to give credit where credit's due, um, but also protect um, your uh, personal thoughts and mm -hmm. whatnot. Uh, yeah, that's definitely the word I was looking for. <laughs> uh, seriously, guys, it's been really cool to see the support over just the last week. We were really yeah. slacking on social media. So if you like anything you hear, please um, be sure to give it a uh, like, follow, share it wherever you can. Um, share the Instagram wherever you can. I think that's probably the easiest way to get the word out. But don't just share it just because you like us. Like Share it if you think it's worth sharing with someone. Um, mm -hmm. I think some of these ideas can be hard to chew on at first, but um, we think there's a lot that, that can really come of this. So thanks for coming on the journey with us. And Cole, sign us out. Yeah, yeah. We love you. Goodbye. See you later.